Um, if you guys can, uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Uh, tonight, we're going to be continuing our series, Walking to Freedom. Uh, we will be in chapter 37. I will warn you in advance, you're going to get some work in your fingers tonight because we will be turning to a few different uh, uh, chapters of the Bible, also different books, because we're going to kind of look at uh, a few different things that is on the, the mind and heart of the Lord as he is designing the tabernacle. And so what you want to do is, as you are observing what is in the book of Exodus, we can do this kind of a thing where we look at it and go, this is very strange to us as Christians. We don't specifically aim geographically to go to a special city to serve the Lord. We serve the Lord where we're at. And uh, we no longer do these rituals, right? We don't know. I mean, thank the Lord that we don't come up here with a couple of Pastor Ryan's goats, before and after service, right? Because it could be a totally different vibe in here. If you saw me walk up here with some goats and a knife, you'd be like, wait a minute. Um, but that's what's, what makes this relevant to us is that that information, even though it seems very uh, distant and far away, you can see that it's been made complete in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the same process still needs to take place for us to enter into a holy relationship because we are unholy people made righteous by God's blood. So there's still that. And we don't longer need a building to visit. God goes with us wherever we go. And we are so thankful for that because if you think about it, imagine if the people of the Old Testament were reading the story of Calvary Chapel and Sebastian. They're like, they don't have to do any of this. They get to do, like, and God goes with them anywhere? That's amazing. So when we, when we read, you know, towards the Old Testament, what we really want to ask ourselves is uh, what is going on uh, with these people and why is the Lord speaking to them this way? But then also what does it mean for us? And I, I find that the, the more that you know about the Old Testament, I, I made this joke in one of our midweek Bible studies. It's like you can always, you can always eat a steak and it tastes really good, but there's a seasoning that you can put on the steak that makes it taste really, really good. And that seasoning would be knowing the whole Bible front to back and knowing how Jesus Christ is the story that you've entered into. And you can see why the significance of the Lord is raised when you see why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come in this way to make us a holy presentation to the Lord because without Jesus, we, do not have that, we don't have that entrance. We don't even have that invite. Jesus is our invitation to an eternal relationship with the Lord, but it comes with severe consequences, obviously his death. And so uh, I just want you to see that as you're moving through. There's a revelation that takes place because now that when you enter into that mindset, when you go into the book of Revelation, or sorry, the book of Exodus, you can see that what you're saying to the Lord is, because you've invited me here, I have a place. I can't lose my place. And because you've invited me and you're instructing me, what I can find myself doing is entering to a place of peace. All I have to do is follow your will, get better at that every day, and make God-pleasing decisions. And now that I've entered into that peace, I can now enter into your joy because we know what it says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so what does that verse mean, uh, especially about tonight, is now that I have peace with the Lord... My sin has been taken care of. My sin has been atoned for. It's God has washed that away by his blood and by his work, not mine. Now I've entered into his peace. Now I have the freedom to receive his joy. And when I've received his joy, where I meet him is in my faith to his, you know, my obedience to him. I can now rest in his strength because now I'm aware 
that everything that is good that is going to come out of my life, including my eternal salvation, is going to come out of his strength, not my strength. And because that's the place I can go, you know what, I can just kick back and watch God do good things in my life. And it doesn't matter how, how good I am at it. It's not about my qualifications. It doesn't matter how, what my experience or even what my past looks like. What matters about it today? Am I in God's will? And is his presence surrounding my life? And am I entering into the authority that he has placed over me? Which means nothing else has authority over me. And therefore, I have rest and joy in his strength. So join me uh, on chapter 37. Oh, by the way, if I can do something... Let's do, like I said, we're going to do, this is, I'm calling an audible. Turn to Revelations chapter 11. If anybody's in my midweek Bible study, they're going to go, here we go. Here we go. I want you to read something uh, with me really quick before we get into, before we get into this book of Exodus 37. I want you to see that God's plan in his heart has always been the same, but I want you to take a glimpse of heaven. If you would join me. Revelation chapter 11, look at the last verse of that, of that chapter, verse 19. The turning of pages in the Bible. It's wonderful, right? It's got a good sound, right? Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Two things I want you to see in there. The, the blueprint that God has brought to the people of the book of Exodus is the blueprint of heaven. So God is moving these slaves of Egypt out of Egypt to be free from their slave masters to now have the freedom to serve him. And God is now instructing them, you've never done this before, but what I'm showing you, what I am preparing you for is the worship that you will partake in in heaven. So you are being prepared for heaven right now. So as we go through Exodus 37, go back, turn, make, make the sound of the pages. Let's go. Get those thumbs stretched. You might want to work them out tonight. You're going to have really strong fingers after tonight. You're going to join me in chapter 37, verse 1. You can see this is what God is preparing his people for. Look at verse 1. Bezalel, that's, a, that's painful, right? Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and he made a gold molding around it, and he cast four rings for it, and he fastened them to four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. And then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. And he made the atonement cover of pure gold two and a half cubits long and a, and a cubit and a half wide. And then he made two cherubim out of hammered gold at the end of, ends of the cover. He made one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other end. And the two ends he made them of one piece with the cover. The cherub had a wing spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them, and the cherubim faced each other, looking toward the cover. So what we're talking about is the famous Ark of the Covenant. Um, if you if you ever seen the Ark of the Covenant, let's just do raise of hands now. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is that your reference? Go ahead and play the clip. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that tonight. That's not our reference. I want you to see this is a, a loose representation because obviously we, we don't have the exact picture uh, uh, 
whether Indiana Jones is there or not, we don't see it. But you can see this is what the description of in the center of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And you can see what's happening right now is this particular craftsman has been given this job of taking precious metal, pounding it flat, pounding gold flat to the wood, which is all expensive. It's the most expensive precious metal they have, and it's the most expensive wood that they have. And what would be in their minds is as they watch this craftsman build this is, you know what? This is, this is high-end stuff. This is a big deal. This is, we, we are moving into a place that is unusual because before this, as you can understand, when they were dealing with the way that they wanted to worship, they wanted to worship a golden calf. Now they're watching somebody build a mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant would be known as the mercy seat. You know what's missing outside of the tabernacle uh, that you don't see in other temples around the world? An actual God. The only time that God shows up is when he chooses to show up and you have a direct relationship in the way that he has prescribed. There's no way that I can go and grab a, a statue of God and move him. It's God coming to us in a real relationship saying, now that you've met the requirements, I will now sit and talk with you and you will hear from me and I will listen to you. That's a direct relationship. That's not a religion. And so what the Lord is showing us here is that in our sinful, you know, unholy state, as we're looking at this description and you're looking at these words, is that before we can even enter into this place, we have to be made worthy of this place. So it's not just about a place, it's about who's going to sit on that place. And so we're not walking up to an idol or a statue. What we're doing is we're walking up to a God who's excited to meet you. But that can also be very scary because what I was saying is here, the request had to be made to his prescription, not ours. So we as an unholy people have to be prepared, which brings us to this idea, which is our first point of the night. God desires to dwell with you and be the center of your life. That's fascinating, isn't it? When you think about this one idea, take your whole life, not your best lived day. God is not interested in being on the periphery God is not interested in being part of one of the many things that you do today. God wants to put himself smack dab in the middle of your life. Because why? The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. All of the different uh, tribes were faced towards the tabernacle. And what's at the center of the tabernacle? The Holy of Holies. And what's at the center of the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Mercy Seat the place where God would come and sit and say, now that you've been prepared, come and meet with me. And so I just find that interesting because God has this idea um, that I don't want to just prepare you for heaven. I want to come to you, which is shocking to me because you want to say, if you look at, if we played a DVD of my whole life and we watched it, and that would take a very long time, but you would just say, there would be parts where I would cover the screen and I would say, guys, don't watch this part. Or can we skip that chapter and go to the next chapter? And yet the Lord would watch all of it and say, that's where I'm going to meet you. And I'm going to meet you there, to make no mistake, but I'm not going to keep you there. I'm going to prepare you to move you into a place where you are made worthy. And so God has plans for his family. It's daily fellowship. God has food that he's preparing for us. God is looking to share life and joy with you. And that doesn't have any account for what you bring to the table. It has more of what he needs for you to raise up and reach him. And think about this. If God says the word, I want to dwell with you or abide, or in, in, in other words, I want to move in, 
Doesn't that change how you move? I know it's like this. Uh, you know, if when I was, you know, dating Jackie, uh, before we were married, it was like, oh, Jackie's coming over. Push everything under the couch. Put everything under the rug. You know, make sure everything, all the cobwebs or the dust is gone. Why? Because I'm, I, I care what she thinks. I care how this is going to look. I care how this, we're going to proceed. I don't want her to come over and be like, oh, what is this place? And we take so much care for what somebody thinks, but we don't think about preparing maybe the temple of our heart. And think about this, how pure is God? And how righteous is he? And how good is he? And that's where we want to see that prescription that's in here. And that's why I like to use the word uh, transcend. If you ever look at the breakdown of the word transcend, we would have to be transcending where we are at now. Transcend means trans, which means to cross over. And send means to climb or surpass. Think about that word. What does the cross help us do? Climb and surpass the life that we previously had into a life that's made worthy so that we could become the dwelling place of Jesus Christ, so that we could be made the holy of holies of God, so that he could sit upon our heart, spread his blood, and say, this is the mercy seat. Come and meet with me. And I love that because God is going to great lengths to make a connection with us, isn't he? Just look at the book of Exodus right now. How crazy have been the Israelites? I mean, they have seen things that I would... We would pay to see. If you were like, if they were giving away tickets right now, and they're like, do you want to see uh, God open up the Red Sea? That'd be awesome. I'll pay for that. It's a little extra. You can get a front row seat. You can watch them drown the Egyptians as they chase the Israelites. I'd be like, well, I'll pay the extra, whatever it takes. But this is what they saw. And what did they do? They were still having a problem wondering if they needed to be prepared and raised up and cross over to a new way of life. The old them didn't matter. The new them is the kind of person that would walk and talk with God, have a pillar of cloud during the day and a fire at night. They would touch rock and water would come out. That's not the life of a slave. That's the life of a child of God. And now they're entering into this new life. By what way? By the presence of God. He had no, uh, sorry, the Israelites had no power over that situation. They were guests to the front row seats of the book of Exodus because God chose them. And the people in this church are guests to the front row seats to what God is doing in the New Testament, in the church age, moving forward because he chose you. That's all we have. And so I want to show you what the original plan looked like. This is what God wanted us to show. Here's how should it work. This is how it should work. This is why we're in Exodus 37. God speaks, and we go, wow, that's awesome. So we listen. That's my amazing, miracle-working, loving God. And his people do what is commanded. Now, is that what your life looks like every day? And everybody here said yes and amen. And that's why we're so blessed. But that's not what it looks like. Go to the next right here. I want to show you what, it, what it's going to end up looking like. Exodus chapter 25. God speaks. We're actually hearing the, the construction list of the book of Exodus again. And you may feel like, I feel like I've heard this like three or four times. That's because God, like a broken record, has to stand at the door of the tabernacle and go, come on in, put on your shoes. It's like me walking my kids to the car for church. No, dinosaurs don't count as shoes. Let's go. They're doing everything wrong, right? You know, no, 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 don't go out in the lawn and start digging. Yeah, we just took a bath for church. Get back here. We got to wash you again. So God speaks. We listen. But then Exodus 32 we wrestle with what God commanded, and then we make a mess of it. That's the golden calf chapter, by the way. 
And then what does God do? He provides an intercessor in chapter 33 and 34 who intercedes for you that goes, they're the worst, we get it, but let me work with them. Let me take your instruction and work with them and make them over. So let me prepare them to make them more than what they are. Let me help them transcend and cross over to what? Exodus 37, the chapter that we're in right now, to do what you already are going to do. In the end, we listen to God or we be made to listen to God. We're all headed toward Exodus 37 together. That's the choice we have. I, I always love Psalms 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you can read that in two ways. Oh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I love you, Jesus. You're such a great Jesus. You're such a great shepherd. Or he'd be like, get down in that grass and rest. Because he makes you lay down in green pastures, right? But either way, the instruction of the Lord is, if he wants to move you from point A to point B, he's going to do it. Case in point, Jonah. You hear it? I told you what's going to happen. Are you done yet? We're going to go. Is the belly of the fish stinky? Let's go to Nineveh. Okay. You know, like... We're going to do what the Lord says, but we have to go through this process, and that's just who we are as humans, but that's not what God's original plan was. And now we come to the mercy seat, and the mercy seat being in the Ark of the Covenant would actually just be the lid of, of, of the, the top there with the cherubim, but it would be more uh, than a lid, wouldn't it? It'd be come to a place where God would meet with his people and communicate out that he loves them in spite of their sin, and he has a plan for them. And so he comes there and goes, there needs to be a right kind of obedience, which leads to a right kind of worship. And in that worship, I will be faithful to you as you are faithful to me. And worshiping God properly does one amazing thing. That's why we do worship in the beginning of a church service. It recalibrates us, no matter what happened today, to bring God back to the center. To put him in the tabernacle. God, you are here. God, this place is holy. God, you are holy. God, please forgive me. I love you, and I want to just spend time with you. And upon that mercy seat, he spreads his blood, as they would spread the blood of the animals, and then he meets you there. And that's the problem that we're running into, is that place where we wrestle with God's prescription. I don't know if I want to do it that way. That costs me too much. How much did it cost God to leave heaven and die on a cross? But all we have to do is follow the plans. But sin messes with us. Sin separates us. Sin gets us out of calibration. Sin makes us anxious and fearful and even sometimes plugs in our ears. But God has a plan. And if you look at the book of Exodus, that is the whole plan. The book of Exodus looks like this. The first half is the, of the people leaving Egypt, right? And it's the whole process of salvation, to be saved and rescued. The second half of Exodus is getting in the right place to worship with this God. So if you ever wonder, um, am I made worthy, or, or can God use me, or can God work with me? It doesn't really matter. He chose you. Now that he's chose you, you don't have a position as a finite creature here on earth to tell an infinite God, I don't know, I might not be the right Christian that you picked. And the Lord's like, who are you to pick? I picked. Who are you to question my judgment? I judged. And I picked you, and I chose you, and now I want to raise you up. Who are we to get away in that process? And that's what the Lord is doing. The Redeemer has come to the redeemed and said, let's get to work. But it's a beautiful work. It's a work for the preparation of heaven. Um, if you look at Numbers 789, this is what it would look like for Moses the first time. Because remember, God spoke in Exodus chapter 25, 
They're finally getting around to building everything he spoke at 37, right? Finally, in Numbers chapter 7, Moses enters the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord. He heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant law. In this way, the Lord spoke to him. And so you can just think about this. It's kind of an interesting point of view is that it took this long for the people of God to get in the right place to actually meet with God. But was God ready? God's waiting. God hasn't moved. We run around in circles. We act clumsy. We trip and fall. But God's in the same place. And I always picture this. I don't know if you have these kind of moments where, like, I picture how ridiculous I am before the Lord. But I picture me turning myself into a knot like a pretzel and God just being like, are you finished? Okay, let me untie you. Now can we continue doing what I said I was going to do? And I just love that because there's a distance that can be changing my heart. And I want to let you know what that distance is. And this is kind of something I wrote in my journal this week. And it kind of blessed me in this way. The distance looks like this. God left his throne in heaven and met with me. Think of how far the distance of heaven is. That's far. Not only just geographically, but spiritually. How far is that for God to, like Jesus, to be standing in perfect, wonderful, smelling, beautiful streets, heaven, and going... Yeah, Joey's a sinner. He lives in Florida. The humidity is out of control. Have you seen the size of the mosquitoes? Yes, I will leave perfect heaven and come down and meet with him. And then what is the distance that I have to cover? Lord, not my way, but your way. The distance of deliverance is from heaven to earth. The distance of my redemption between him is me just reaching out my hand as his hand is in front of me. How far is it when it's right there? He's not gone anywhere. Let's continue to the table. Verse 10, they made a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high, and they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made it around a rim a handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. They cast four golds for the table and fastened to them the four corners where the four legs were. And the rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used carrying in the table. The poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and were overlaid with gold. And they made from pure gold the articles for the table, its plates and dishes and its bowls and its pitchers for the pouring out of drink offerings. So here we are, we're talking about the table of showbread. And once again, we're hearing the acacia wood, so everything's fine, right? Highest wood, highest costing wood that they have, highest costing precious metal for for this construction. And all these uh, items were made for furniture were to be portable and movable. And there's a reason why I'm bringing that up. I want you to hear this next point. God desires everyone to see your life as a testimony to his goodness. God desires everyone to see your life as a testimony to his goodness. You see, what's fascinating about the tabernacle is the tabernacle would go everywhere Israel would go. So everything that was good inside of the Holy of Holies would pick up and go with the people. And so with that being said, the people would have to, if, if you were saying observers, the people of the, of the region, right, as Israel's moving, they would look inside of the nation of Israel, this nation that was on the move, and they would say, what is different about these people? Why are they so blessed? Why are they conquering nations when they shouldn't be conquering nations? Why are they being fed in the desert when there's no food? And the testimony is because God was at the center of their life. And for God to be, have a great testimony for us to be like he's such a good God, that means he has to be good to us. 
You see, the Lord has a great uh, advertisement in his goodness, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. But let me tell you what, God has amazing billboards all over Sebastian, and that's the Jesus Christ inside of you. Wherever you go, do you reflect the goodness of God? Wherever you go, do people see the promises of God lived out because you, by no you know, volition of your own, like when you say, I, I did this, no. The reason why I'm still standing, the reason why I'm doing as good as I am, even though the storms of my life have passed through, is because I'm standing on a word that is firm. I am blessed by a God who, when the, when the storm came and it blew, the foundation never moved. The rock never moved. I am blessed by a God who is inside of me. And I just want you to know, when that happens to you, when the provisions of God flow to you, I want you to understand that for you to be that great testimony, you shouldn't let it stop here. You should let it flow out into this community. You should let the center of your heart be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, receive the blessings and let it flow. And I don't just mean material blessings. I mean by your story, your example. The thing that you can do that nobody else can do when that neighbor drives you crazy is you can bring the peace of God to him. When that family member drives you nuts, you can bring mercy and forgiveness that nobody else has because the peace of God has been given to you. And I just wanted to ask you this. Imagine if the flow from the Holy of Holies, from the mercy seat, flowed from our heart, was in every single person in here, what would the church of Sebastian look like? What would the church of the world look like? It wouldn't be a Scrooge-type church, would it? a greedy type church that's holding on. We would be the type of people like, who wants, who wants to get blasted in the face with the goodness of God today? I'm just going to walk around here. I'm going to find somebody. I'm just looking for, I'm looking for a reason to destroy what the devil's doing here. And that's what you can see. The place of the, of the showbread was a place of provision. God has been so good to me, and now I want to be able to stop and say, because I have been given, I'm going to give. And this is a place where revelation and insight would take place because the, the temple, uh, or sorry, the tabernacle would have the showbread. This place was, uh, they would bake this bread and they would put it on the showbread table and it would remain good and then they would stop and they would eat it after they did their rituals. So after they would go outside, get cleansed to go into the tabernacle, right? You can see right here, they would put the table showbread up there, 12 loaves for 12 tribes, right? So they would move through the, through, the holy, or through the tabernacle. They would go through the process. They would get clean, put on their outfit, be prepared. But look what God does. God's not moving his people, is he? God goes, stop. Stop here at the table. I know we're in a process. I know we're doing things. I want you to stop and I want you to rest. I want you to eat. You know, I, I, this resonates with me because every time I would go over to my grandma's house and I would be all wound up. Mom said this and dad said I couldn't do this. And she'd be like, you need to eat. That was her response. Stop. And I'm like, Grandma, there's no time. There's things happening. And she'd be like, stop. Sit. Eat. With me. That's, that's a pause. Interesting that the Lord would move his people through a process. And part of his process would be a place where he would go, before we cross over to the heavenly, holy of holies and all that, I want you to not rush. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. I want to provide for you. So just think about this, us, the people that are unworthy, that have now been redeemed and restored, and we're trying to work to be good enough for the Lord. The Lord goes, let me just stop you. Stop trying and just receive. Stop trying and just receive. Let me be God and let me provide for you. I, I love the idea that you can hear this in Psalms 23. I prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. But God, there's so much I have to fight. There's so much going on. Sit down. 
Eat something. I don't know if you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding. Eat something, Tulo. You're crazy. Who are we to tell God, I got to go out there and fight the battle? And the Lord's like, you don't even know how to fight Satan. I'll give you the armor of God so you're protected, but like, for real, let me be your victory. You don't even know what you're getting into. Okay. But what what I got to do? What's my job? Sit and eat. What kind of a God says that, but a God that provides? A God that loves? A God that doesn't expect you to be the victory? He's going to be the victory. And I love this because really the translation would look like this. Let me take care of your needs, my child. Sit and rest. I'm doing the work. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I love that. Verse 17, they made the lampstand of pure gold. They hammered out its base and its shaft, and it made it like flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms, where on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the first pair of branch extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches were of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. They made its seven lamps as well as the wick trimming its trays of pure gold, and they made the lampstand and all of its accessories from one talent of pure gold. So there's a lot to unpack here, but we're talking about the lampstand, or as you can recognize, the menorah there. And I just want to let you know the Lord is very pleased to tell you this, that he wants to be the light that broke into your darkness. What is the purpose? God desires to eclipse your darkness with his light. That is the purpose of this. So after you're sitting and eating, he wants you to realize something. I have moved you from a place of cleansing from the front. Remember, the, the priest would have to be cleansed. They would put on the nice outfit. They would move into the tabernacle. They're now sitting and eating. What's the next station? I want you to see that I am lifting you up to heavenly places. You know, the menorah, when it was lit, and many of their uh, feasts and, and, and things, especially in the book of John, as we're finding out, you know, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, they would raise the menorah up high so that it would cast its light. And the people of Jerusalem could look up because everything in Jerusalem, you know, all the land around Jerusalem goes up to the peak, right? And the temple's up high. You would look up and you would see that light. And the Lord is saying this, uh, I want you to have comfort in this. You are going to see everything by my light. Before you were blind, I am going to show you th- everything. So I want, you to, I want to be your eyes, essentially. I want to be the way that points, uh, points you to heaven. I want to be it. Because why? You were lost in darkness, and I was not happy with that, so I brought my light to you. And now that you're in my light, I want to raise you up so that you follow that light upwards. And I just love that. But also, too, I want you to point out this. Um, it can also expose whatever is ugly. Can't hide ugly in the light. But the Lord is saying, I want to turn on all the lights to expose what's ugly inside of your heart so that you could be pulled towards it, so that you could look and see the reason why I'm cleansing you and moving and putting everything in, in protection for you is because I have looked and I don't mind looking. I don't mind looking. I've already seen you and counted the costs. And so nothing that is ragged or shabby should be left. But we shouldn't be comfortable with that either, right? Now that I'm entering into the Holy of Holies, ooh, wait a minute, this, this shirt is stained or this, these pants are torn or, or maybe I'm not presented in the right way, my hair is not right. But that's the way we should spiritually be entering into the Holy of Holies. Lord, there's a few things 
I need to get squared away with you before we talk. There's a few things that are wrong with my worship. There's a few things with the way that I've been treating you. Before we move forward, let's work on that. And that is the preparation process. But now that I know that I am in the right place, think of communion. As we reflect and we move through that process and go, Lord, I have to get right before I move into that time of reflection. So we ask for repentance. And then what do we do? We reflect. What does that word reflect actually means? We're letting the light that Jesus Christ brought into our life, hit our heart and reflect back. I am forgiven. Whose forgiveness is that? Jesus Christ. I have been raised to be a new creation. Who's that new creator? Jesus Christ. Everything that is good in me is the reflection, like the moon from the sun, right? It's not the moon's light. It's the sun hitting the moon and then reflecting out to the world. And what is it? By the heavenly light of the Son of Jesus, or the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we, like, like reflections, are reflecting out into the world. Look how good he is. I hold heavenly light because he gave it to me. And that is a worship that is worthy to be celebrated, Right? Because now I have been made right, I can freely worship the Lord. I can hold nothing back. I'm not ashamed. There is no guilt because my sin has been destroyed. My guilt has been raised up on the cross and killed. I am now free to enter into this relationship to say, I am who you say I am. I am a high priest, a holy nation prepared for you. Let's continue to verse 25. And they made the altar of the incense of the acacia wood, and it was square, a cubit long, and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. They overlay, overlaid the top and all the sides, and the horns of with pure gold, and made a gold molding around it. They made two rings below the molding, two on each side of the opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the sacred anointing oil and pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. Look at me, I'm struggling. Perfumer. So what you can see is there's actually a kind of a cool connecting point here for us in, in the New Testament. If you look at the book of Luke chapter 1, this is actually the place that Zechariah was moving into. And Luke chapter 1, 8 through 10 says, once this is Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's dad. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of his incense came, all that assembled worshipers were praying outside. This would connect also to a Bible verse in Revelation chapter 4, where it says that every prayer that we've ever prayed individually and as a church, is presented to God in a bowl of incense, and it's never-ending. Just think about that. How important is prayer, and how important is this table of incense? This is the place where you would say this, as my prayer rises up to the Lord, because, you know, they would burn an incense, and it would rise up, obviously the smoke rising up. It would represent your prayers going to God, but there's also a spiritual application. In heaven, there's a bowl being uh, transported to the Lord with incense of prayers, and it's brought to the Lord. There are prayers that you've probably forgotten about that Jesus is still contemplating. There are prayers that you thought that God has not answered that he is just still working on because it is ever before them, even when you're not praying. And that's amazing to me because this is the place where God meets us. It's, uh, everything that is here inside of the, of the temple would be anointed with anointing oil, right? As we read there. 
Verse 29, they made the sacred anointing oil pure and fragrant incense. And what they would do is they would cover everything with anointing oil. And that should remind us that the presence of God is upon us everywhere. You should be bathing your life in prayer to the point that you know that every part of my house, every part of my life, my children, my family, my friends, my coworkers, my place of work, everything is bathed in the anointing oil or the Holy Spirit. And this is where we are to meet the Lord in a place of obedience. Now we can say this whole area is holy, not because we made it holy, because God made it holy. This is just a room. It's a beautiful room. has beautiful, this is like, nobody has a view like this at their church, right? Out here with the, with the sunset sometimes and the sunrise and the lake and the trees. But it is just a room. But it's more than that when, when Jesus shows up. And I love this because this would be kind of a place, as you can see uh, with Zechariah. Remember when Zechariah went in there, the Lord was like, you're going to have a baby. And he was like, yeah, right. And the angel was like, you're mute. You can't talk anymore because you don't say good things. You know, you're done. So he comes out and he's mute. But this should be the place that we are, that when we enter into the Holy of Holies, we should be different. We should be prepared, and then we should be made different because we have just spent time in the presence of God. So we look different. We sound different. Even Moses looked different. Remember, he lit up like a neon light bulb when he went up to Sinai and came down, and that should be us spiritually. It's kind of, I always reminded myself when you watch those commercials, when they're like, there's a problem at a place, and this guy walks up and just fixes it, and they're like, who are you? Just this random guy walked in, and he's like, oh, I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Well, that's how we should be as Christians. We should just be walking into situations and fix it, and be like, who are you? I'm like, I just spent time in the Holy of Holies. I'm a Christian. And then just walk out. That should be the type of change that we have. Why? Because we are different. We are not lost and dying in this world. We are headed to life eternal, and we are being prepared to serve God in heaven. So what should we look like inside and out? Not just out, inside and out. And there's a prescription. There's nothing casual. By the way, I don't know if you caught this. Most of the things that were created in this book or this chapter were created out of one lump size of gold. It'd be like if we just dropped a big piece of gold here like this, and then this special craftsman would come in here, and he would pound and hammer this gold. He didn't melt it. The word says is he hammered it. So this is a place of not a casual, just let me just put it in a mold and get going. This took time. It was work, and so is our relationship with the Lord, and so is our maturing and being able to invite the Lord into a space that is good for him, right? God desires desires to be worshiped properly. He absolutely does, but it's going to take time, and it looks like this on the screen. God desires worship prepared properly because he's worthy, and what does that preparation look like? Redemption. Lord, I need to be made right with you. And that should lead to obedience. I love the things that you love. I want to chase them. And that should lead to a deeper revelation. I shouldn't even be here, but you chose me. So that should lead to a deeper part, adoration. God, you are worthy to be praised. I should be on my way to hell. And yet here I'm wearing the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. He took my rags of sin and took it up to the cross. He wore that. He gave me his righteous robes. Stop and just pause and think about that. How beautiful are the robes of Jesus Christ? If you get to heaven and he goes, wait, before you can go in, take my robe. It'll, it'll get you in. And that should lead you to what? Service and worship. 
God is amazing when he thinks about, you know, when we think about this, we are in constant threat of trying to drive God out from the temple of our heart with our sin and our self-righteousness and our self-sufficient confidence, right? And yet the Lord goes, let me help you with that. Let me come in there and let me do the work. Let me save you from yourself. And uh, I love that because if you think about it, when we read this Bible, it was the same thing in the Garden of Eden. I just wanted to dwell with you. It's the same thing in the book of Exodus. I just wanted to dwell with you. It's the same thing in the book of Revelation. I just wanted to be with you. But there's a problem. And I need to make you righteous. I need to make you holy. You see, without God, this tent of the tabernacle is just a tent. And without God, this is just a box overlaid with gold. It's just a box. And without God, everything important and profound in your life is missing because without God, you're just a person. That's it. You're just a person on your own. And so what does the Lord desire for his children? He desires to be the indwelling. And what does that mean? That we are chosen, separated, sanctified. The indwelling means that we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are made a whole royal priesthood, set apart for the work of the king, and filled with the very holy presence of God that the high priests of Israel feared. Feared to the point that they were trembling when they entered in. And yet that's the same spirit that has now come rest of us. If you could do something with me, I want you to hear something that the priests of Israel never heard in their day and their time. Join with me in Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll close on this. We're going to see God bless his imperfect people with his presence and his deep covenant as a perfect savior. Um, I'm just going to read this as a close, and then we're going to pray. And if you need um, to make your time right now in this prayer after I read, say, Lord, I want this in my life, we'll pray that together. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, no longer a lamb. Isn't that great? In accordance with his pleasure and will. Isn't that amazing to hear? God's pleasure to choose you, the messy sinner that you are. For verse 6, to praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Can you see us moving through the tabernacle? In accordance with his riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. God, Lord, why is there a tabernacle? Why this? Why? The mystery of his will is according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, chosen having being predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing 
our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Translation to all of that, God has put his spirit inside of you so that you could become the living tabernacle, walking in the world, shining a light into the darkness so that people could look at you and go, what is so special about them? Nothing. God chose them and they received the redemption. And now that they are redeemed, they are lifted up to heavenly places. And now they are walking and talking like the way that the Lord wanted them to, with the power and under the authority of God. Think about this. When we put ourselves under the authority of God, God's authority takes over every part of our life. Thus, we have praise, rest, peace, and worship, all that is worthy of him, that is come by him for him. And that is our gift tonight. So we're going to pray a prayer of preparation. So if you would like to, if you guys can, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray this together. Tonight, Lord, we put ourselves before you. And we say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of not being prepared. Forgive us for not taking you seriously, for taking the time of worship too casual. You are an amazing God. You are a heavenly, holy Father, a perfect Savior. And by this covenant, I now enter into this relationship by saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, you have redeemed me. I have not earned that. I have not overcome it by my own merit. I just receive the gift that you've given me on the cross, your grace that you have lavished on me. And now that I am redeemed, I will claim myself as your possession, your holy possession. Make me holy. Fill me up with the spirit of the Lord. Let my body, let my life, let my heart, let my mind be your tabernacle. Let it shine with the glory of heaven. Let it shine with your goodness. And let all the world see that I am a testimony to the grace and goodness of God. And let them be drawn to that light. All the people that are broken, that are far away, let them be drawn to this church. Let this community look in here and see that something is different that is happening. And the name is Jesus Christ. And he is raising the dead to life. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.